If you have a Bible this morning, I want you once again to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 and 5. That's where our topic of the enemy within comes from. The enemy within. And the Bible says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds like this, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Strongholds are a reality. The word stronghold is a fortress. We've already told you that. It's like a fortress, the walls of a fortress that keeps the enemy out. In this case, it's what has been erected in a man's thinking in his attitude that keeps God out, that the devil maintains some control of a person's life. And he does that with most people, not all, but most. Attitudes, opinions, directions, the way you were trained, the way you were raised, the society you have acclimated yourself to, the customs and the ways of the world, that gets ingrained in a person. That's the way they think. That's the way they do. And when they come to church with this liberal free spirit in the world and you sit down and you hear the word of God, it bothers people because the word is opposed to all these things that destroy human lives. The devil comes to kill and to steal and destroy. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And so these fortresses and these walls have to be dealt with. It's a reality. Nobody in here will escape it. Nobody came to the Lord right. All we like sheep had gone astray. There was none righteous among us. The devil had access to all of us throughout our childhood, much of our grown life. And the only hope we have of getting free is a response to God as he shows us his word. It's what we'll talk about today. Because Jesus said, you can be free. You can really be free in this life and not be bound by anything. Jesus said he came to open prison doors, to set the captives free, to loose those that were bound. That's part of what we want to happen to us, that God will deliver us from religion and just a little church service, a little quiet time together, listening to something that allows the word of God to penetrate our hard systems of thinking and life. The reason we have so much trouble with each other, with the world, the reason we're so easily ticked off is because the devil has been able to build in you that kind of a response to the things of the world. It's easy to give up because that's the way people think. The easiest route in life is to give up, is to quit. And that's the enemy, that's what he's done. That's the way it works. Now we ask the question, how does he get in there to do this? Well, he has freedom to do that. We give it to him. It says that uh, we're not to give place to the devil. And if we're not to give place to the devil, then it obviously means that we can, that we should not, but we often do, mostly because we were ignorant and later on having heard the word because we're rebellious. We just don't want to do that. That's too hard. I'm not ready for that. Or oh, that's over my head. Things like that. These are the little excuses that keep the word of God from having access to your heart and your life. 
That's what keeps you from being the kind of person you ought to be. That's what drags you down. It's what keeps you from having peace and joy. It's these little citadels, little fortresses that have been built on the inside of us. And we looked last week at the tempter. Paul said, if the tempter has tempted you in 1 Thessalonians 3, he says, the devil is a tempter. Now, if the devil has tempted you, meaning successfully, then he said, our work is in vain. So the devil knows that if he can get into the minds of people, if he can reorient their doctrinal understandings and give them a liberal view of things, then Paul said, all the work I've done is for nothing because you've gone another direction. Having known the way of truth, you went another way. He said to the Galatians, remember this, O Galatians, who hath bewitched you? He labored with those people. He spent lots of time there, brought them to the conversion, taught with a lot of energy, taught these people. And then somebody came along behind him, as does still today. Some new thing comes along. Some new movement comes along. It's got a lot of flash and flamboyance, and people just jump right in. They forget what they've been taught for 30 years and jump right over to follow something they just heard. Paul said, who has bewitched you? How do you cave in so easy? He even said this. He said, you were running well. Obviously, you're not now. He would probably say, if I didn't care about you, I wouldn't tell you that. But you're worth saving. You're worth getting back on the right track. So he said, you were running well. You were known of God. That doesn't sound good. And so there is a certain kind of watchfulness that we should have. Remember we said in 1 Peter 5, your adversary, the devil, goes about this tempter. He goes about and looking for people he can devour, looking for those people who just whine a lot, don't want to try, even those who are strong. Jesus was tempted in all points like we are. You may not be able to handle that in your thinking, but that's what the Bible says. He was in all points tempted like we are, yet he never gave in to those temptations. He was subject to temptation just like we are. We're going to be tempted. That's part of God's plan is for us to be tested. But if the tempter is able to come in and successfully get a hold of your life and get a grip on you, well, it seems like a lot of work and a labor ministerially was just for nothing. It was in vain. What a tragic thing to have to even think about that we could have spent all this time for nothing. But I don't believe we have. I don't believe God brought us together and gave us the gospel and opened our hearts for nothing. There's a reason for all of this. Amen. We're here for purpose on this earth. Now, the question today is, being the enemy within, what is his goal? I know it's to kill and to steal and destroy, but primarily, speaking to believers, his goal is to prevent you from believing. Just distorted enough that you can't, you know, I don't get it. Turn to Acts 13. Acts chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Now, Paul is on a missionary journey, sent on this journey by the Holy Spirit. He said that in verse 4. And on this journey, he comes into this place called Paphos in verse 6, and he found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus 
who was with the deputy of the country, whose name was Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Paul or Saul and desired to hear the word of God. That's a good thing, isn't it? To hear the word of God. I mean, they sought it out. I want to hear it. Tell me what you're saying. But as is so often the case, verse eight, but Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, that is Paul and Barnabas, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Now, is it not true of what we've read here that the gospel or the word of God was a threat to whatever the devil was doing? Now, the devil was able to do his bidding through a man. Because as God uses people, the devil uses people also. As God uses words, the devil uses words. And so here was this man, this is a false prophet who gave himself out to be something great from God. And he could rule over people's minds. He could rule congregations as long as he could keep them from clearly seeing the word and believing it. Because that would mess up his whole program. So here comes Paul and Barnabas, who came without charge. They're on a missionary journey. The Holy Spirit sent them specifically to this place, and here they are. This Sergius Paulus says, I'd like to hear what you got to say. So they said, good, we'll come over there. But they were opposed by the devil's crowd, just like you are, just like we are, all of us, people who take issue with what you believe or what you're trying to believe or what you say you believe. They think you're crazy. They try to belittle you, make fun of you. If that doesn't work, then they ignore you. They talk about you, speak down, speak evil about you. Whatever they can to keep you from saying anything. But they spoke it anyway. And here's what Paul said to the devil and to whoever the devil is able to use because this is how he identified them in verse 10. See, in verse 8, he withstood them. And here's what Paul said. Oh, full of all subtlety, that's deceit, and mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness. Notice these words. Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? I believe that for centuries, since the days this happened, all the way down through to the very present hour that we're in, I believe this has been the mission of everybody who is maligned spiritually, is to pervert the gospel so that it doesn't say what it says and it doesn't mean what it means, and they give another interpretation of it, or as Peter said, they rest the scriptures. There is a class of people who don't have much understanding of the Bible, but who trust in educated men and popular movements, they don't question what's said. And some of them don't realize that they're asleep spiritually, or they are distorted, that they really can't trust in the Lord. They really can't see the promises as being genuine or real or for today. And there are multiple churches and Ministers, some of them famous. I've read some of them on the, you, you can Google up a lot of things anymore. And a lot of people that believe the baptism of the Holy Spirit is of the devil. And you think, 
How do you come to that conclusion unless you distort or rest the scriptures or they have been rested to you? Somebody has changed the meaning of them to you. And you like that because you can eliminate that element of controversy from your church. Washing of feet. I don't know where that's even believed today except for a few places. Somebody will always believe what the Bible said. But that's talked away. Or casting out demons in Mark 16. Who's ever heard of such a thing? Well, the devil is able to stay wherever he wants to stay because not very many Christians are sure they can do anything about it. Send him to some psychiatrist, I guess. That's not God's solution. That's not the way God said. Who taught you that? Somebody did. Somebody allowed us to have an opinion that was not in harmony with the word. Where do we learn these things? Somebody taught us. We heard it from our friends, a teacher, somebody that you had a confidence in told you that. It made sense. It was sensible. It was logical, reasonable. Well, yeah, that has to be true because it makes sense. And yet they read the Bible and they say, well, that doesn't make any sense. This kind of thinking holds us back. And it's the work it's the goal of the devil, not only to turn away the deputy from the faith, but to pervert the scriptures. The Bible said in Isaiah chapter 8, if any man speaks not according to this word, he has no light. That's Isaiah 8 and 20. If anybody speaks not according to this word, what he is preaching is darkness. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if the light that is in you, the way you believe in, the way you're seeing things, the way you're living your life as a Christian, the way you're accepting this is what God said and what God wants, as far as you know, if the way you're doing that is not the way God said, the light you have is really darkness. And he said, Jesus said, if the light that is in you is darkness, you think, how can light be darkness? Well, light is how people are led. It's how they see their way. But the way you're going is not the way God is showing you to go. Your way is darkness. It's like a blind man. And a blind man will fall into the ditch, the Bible says. And those who follow him will fall into the same ditch. And the only hope we have is like the Berean church had. Paul said, they searched the scriptures to see if what I said was true. They wouldn't just take my word for it. We heard what you said. You said it pretty good. But what does the Bible say? And some people might be offended by that, but none of us are so perfect that every time we open our mouth, we don't deserve to be checked out. I think I check out all of them. Sometimes I think it's so bad if my wife quotes something, I check it out. I don't. But I mean, I'm just saying that I have learned that there's a premium put on being discerning and having discernment. And the devil wants to twist, the devil wants to malign whatever he can to keep you from seeing things God's way, from desiring to do things God's way. How many times have you heard that salvation is living on God's terms? That's what it is. And everybody in this room, if you call yourself a Christian, that's what God has called you to do. Somebody taught you that we can't. Somebody told you that's too hard. 
Somebody has taught us the Sermon on the Mount was not for today. Somebody told us that that's over our head. It's just good, noble thoughts and ideas, but it's not reality. Somebody taught people that. The fact of the matter is some people think the word is hard or that you preach hard simply because you quote the Bible. And the Bible's not hard. Jesus said, I am meek and lowly. You'll find rest unto your souls. This is not designed to harm us and throw us into a trial. It's designed to set us free. But the only thing God will ever use to make a man free is truth. And if they speak not according to this word, they have no light. Now, you notice in verse 10, the word pervert there, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? The word pervert means to distort. It even means to seduce, to lure away, cleverly, slyly, deceitfully. The preacher wants to swing you around to his way of thinking so that you see things his way. That gives him control. I don't want to get into how many churches are controlled by personality. I mean control. They can't do anything about it. But it happens all the time, and I think that's another dangerous thing also. But would you look in John chapter 8, talking about the perverter of the right ways of God? Go back one book to the left, John chapter 8, and listen to what Jesus said about the devil. Child of the devil, John chapter 8, verse 43. These are some straightforward words, folks. I pray you're here for that, that you really want to hear what God has to say. Listen to these words, verse 43 of John 8. Jesus said, why do you not understand my speech? Why don't you understand what I'm saying? And notice what Jesus said. He answered. He said, because you cannot hear my words. Didn't he say that? Well, they obviously could hear what he was saying, couldn't they? Wasn't there the sound of words being brought forth? Of course. But he said, you're not hearing what I'm saying. People are like that. They, we call it selective hearing. A lot of people are geared to hear what they want to hear. If somebody starts talking the way they don't want to hear, they cut it off. I do that. I hear people start saying things. Some of these commercials, I shut them down. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to think about it, especially all these pills and drugs and death and dying and your next stuff. I have no reason to hear that. I know drug companies are trying to make our society sick by constantly, constantly calling your attention to all these ills and ailments that are not only in society, but you're probably going to have it too. And here's what we can offer you as a solution. While God could say, you know, in this world, which is full of all these problems, and there's a better solution. Now, you got a choice you can make to take God at his word and say, I'm going to choose the gospel. Is to be mocked and ridiculed and called some kind of a cult by people who wouldn't dare trust God like that. Not a chance. But it's where we are. You get to hear this. He said, why is it you don't understand what I'm saying? You don't understand it because you can't hear what I'm saying. Does that mean that only God can cause us to hear? It's true. If God doesn't open our ears to understand, we cannot. Or as Jeremiah said, we cannot by much searching find out God. You can't get 
true light simply by effort, academic effort. You can learn a lot of things in life, but it's only understood in the context that God meant it to be understood when God shows it to you. And verse 44, he said, you're of your father, the devil. That clearly tells us that not all children are the children of God, are they? You ever heard this doctrine said that God is the father of all? Don't believe it. He said right here, you're of your father, the devil, just like over in Matthew 13. He said, thou enemy of righteousness, thou child of the devil. Well, he says here, you are of your father, the devil. He said, you're of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus said, and because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. In verse 47, hold on to this one. He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore hear them not because you're not of God. I don't know how you could make that clear. If a person is of God, in pursuit of God, after God, in touch, belonging to, attached to, bonded with God, he will hear the words of God. You cannot keep them from hearing the words of God. But if your person doesn't have that relationship, maybe they're just religious like I was when I was growing up. Church was an option. It was just, you know, we should, and we usually did because, but I don't need it because that's the way I thought. It's a good thing to do, but, and I go to church some Sunday mornings with my dad because I didn't have to listen to preaching in a Catholic church. I'd just go there and watch them go through all the things that they do. And I'd go home and I'm done because it didn't matter what church you went to. Hey, I went to church. They're just religious people. And therefore, if God hadn't spoken, I wouldn't have heard it. And if it had been something that could have determined my life, it wouldn't have been changed. I wouldn't have listened. He said, they that are of God will hear God's words. And they that are not of God will not. That's how clear it is about what the devil is doing and how he is able to get so much done with so many people. I mean, that's just the way he often works. Can you find Luke 11? Let me show you something in Luke 11. God wants to teach us, does he not? God wants to bring us information. God wants us to know things. He wants to show us things. He wants to reveal things to you. He wants things to come into your light, to come into focus, things that he says. He wants you to see things his way. Not something you can say, well, I don't know about that. No, he wants you to see it his way and focus on it. And this is the way of life. And again, there's just so much of church today that is basically religion, and it's usually geared after some man or some system of man. And so much is left out. You just leave a lot of things out. And when people do begin to study on their own and see some things they'd never seen before and want to go a little deeper direction with the Lord... Somebody seems like they're always there to talk them out of it. Look at this, Luke 11 and verse 52. Woe to you lawyers. 
for you have taken away the key of knowledge. Uh-oh, that doesn't sound good. You entered not in yourselves, and them that were entering in, you hindered. You've taken away the key of knowledge, and he seemed to describe it like this. The word that you have living in you, the word that you have, you should have as a minister of the gospel, should dictate the course of your life. We should see evidence in the way you live that what you preach is what you believe. Would you agree with that? Amen. It should be like that. Even though no man is perfect, there's occasional struggles along the way. If you believe something, you should live it. And people will often put value on what you say because they know you believe that. And if it's in the word, then it's there because God said it, not because you said it. But there are people who say one thing but do another thing. And a lot of people have no interest in the word. How many young people? How many youngsters, preteens or teens up to a certain point before they quit? How many of them have heard the word at church? Mom and dad insisted you go to church, insisted you listen, tried to. But when you came home from church, everything was back to a way that wasn't the way you heard that it should be. Everybody's back to their old griping and complaining and a bad word here or ugly something there. But they go to church and holy, holy, and they sing right and they do right, but when they go home, so the young person does what? They begin to evaluate what we're doing here. Now, my mom and dad or my mother or my dad, whoever, or both, now, they've got this idea that this is what we're supposed to do and they really want me to do it, but nothing happens. All these noble things that we heard, I don't see it in practice at home. Why should I believe it? I don't want to live like that. We call it hypocrisy. Dad doesn't talk to me about Jesus. Mom doesn't always talk to me about Jesus. Most of the time she's more apt to, but not always. And so he said to these lawyers here, this is like Matthew chapter 23, he said, you neither enter in yourselves nor suffer them that are entering to go in. You're preventing people who are learning things of practicing what they learn because that's not the way your system does it. We're not going to have that Pentecostal stuff here. So I'm not talking about Pentecostal stuff. I'm talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We don't want that here. Well, why? Well, I don't want to talk about it. Well, I do. I really do. Tell me why this resistance. Just tell me why. And I remember asking my preacher years ago, you've heard this story. Can I tell it one more time? 800th time. We just got saved, went to the Baptist church because Brother Poor was the only person that I knew being a basketball coach that he used to come to the games. He was a good man. He was a Baptist pastor there. He heard I got saved because I'd gone in and talked to him. And my preacher had gone on vacation for two weeks. I had talked to somebody. So I went down to see Brother Poor, and he talked to him, and we went to the Saturday morning prayer breakfast. I didn't know very many people, but everybody was happy and jovial and this and that. And there was a fellow across the table from me. Uh, I didn't know half of these people. I knew some of them from living in Charlestown all my life. I knew some of the people, didn't know them all. And in a religious context, I knew very, very few. But I remember the guy across the aisle from me, he, he 
four or five years younger than I was, but he was loaded, buddy. He was primed and cocked. He had high-octane stuff running in him. He was ready to go. He had a pocket full of tracks. I learned the little Bible papers. They called them tracks. And so he had a bunch of tracks, and every other word was praise God. Hallelujah. I heard people give their testimony. That's how I got saved. But I'd never heard anybody just keep talking like that. Hallelujah. This guy worked at some company in Louisville. I mean, he wasn't a preacher. And I thought, man, who is this guy? Well, he's part of the Baptist church there. But then I thought, well, Baptists are like that. They're just more get up and go about the gospel than the rest of us deadheads. But then we went upstairs to pray after the prayer meeting. It's supposed to be a prayer meeting. Nobody prays, but... It's a prayer meeting, so we went up to the sanctuary, the Baptist church. We got there to pray, and about four or five of us, and this guy came up there too. Now, I'm curious. Who is this guy? Because he was, praise God, hallelujah, brother. Thank you, Jesus. Mm, that's different. We got to pray, and we'd say our little bit of a prayer, you know, our five-sentence prayer. And this guy started praying, man, that you, man, he's moving, you know, Whoa. He could pray. He could really put stuff together and pray. And I'm thinking, wow, who is this guy? So after the meeting was over, the prayer breakfast was over, we stand around talking. He shook in. Glad to see you, brother. Praise God. And yeah, 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 yeah. I asked one of the guys there. I said, who is he? And I remember him saying, he told me his name. He said, you probably ought to stay away from him. All right. See, I'm one of these guys and needs to know why. Why is that? Well, he said he speaks in tongues. And I thought, and what's that? And nobody wants to say, so I went to my mother's house. Mom. And this is where this one wants to tell you the story. Mom, what is this speaking in tongues? What is that? And boy, she's at the kitchen at the sink. I remember it. She said, where have you been? I've been to church. Been to prayer meeting. And she said, well, don't get involved in that. Well, what did it tell me? Somebody say something. She was at a camp meeting one time. She was a little girl, and they got to yelling and shouting and about dropped their babies, and dust is flying and yelling and running. And, and she said, it's nothing. It's just, oh. So the preacher came back from his vacation. Brother John, I need to know something. What? And I said, what is this? And he said to me, where have you been? And so, in the way I was raised, I said, all right, I want to know what it is. Now, you tell me what he said. It's nothing. Just a bunch of emotional gibberish. And I said, well, I can see the emotional part. I mean, my mother would never lie to her baby. And now you're telling me that, all right. And I could see this guy was, you know, he was ready to go. But, you know, I couldn't get away from the fact that as I measured myself before the word, I didn't have a lot of excitement. I mean, I had a kind of excitement that was subdued. And, and we'd knock on doors and get together and talk about that. But this guy, I mean, he was ready. The picture that I had of something was not necessarily the picture the Bible gave. But it was a distortion of what God had. And the reason it was distorted to me was so the devil could prevent that from happening in my life. 
And even today, some well-versed, well-known, popular men have been preaching longer than I have much better preachers than I am. They would call that something that's of the devil. And I would say, well, I will too if I can see it. If somebody would just show me something about it, I'll agree with you. But if you can't make this clear to me, I'm not going to agree with you. I don't care if I get thrown out of your church or get thrown off the street or out of the country. If I can't see it, I'm not going to believe it just because it's popular not to. I want to know what it says. And so you begin to investigate. Well, these lawyers, I believe, taking what I just said into account, I think these lawyers were the kind of people who didn't want the people from being so spiritual that they start growing. Because when you start growing, you start asking questions. When you start asking questions that people can't answer, people try to keep you from asking questions by making you, ah, it doesn't mean anything, it doesn't matter. So the Bible said they took away the key of knowledge. They could have affected a whole lot of people by their life and by explaining what they said if they would have done it, but they didn't want to do that because they were of, I believe, their father, the devil. They just perverted the whole thing, kept them from what Jesus said. Jesus said to these same people, he said, when you make a proselyte or a convert, you people with this attitude that you have about what we said here about not explaining and taking away the key of knowledge, Jesus said, your converts, when you're through with them, are twice as much a child of hell as you are. They're twice as bad as you are. They're going to propagate the same dead lie to the next crowd they run into. And a church is going to be built around this particular deadness. And they won't even know they're dead. They may not even know they're living in darkness. Because when the light comes to subdue that darkness or expel the darkness, they fight it and they hate it. This is what happens so often. So how do we deal with these strongholds? Seeing then that the devil does his very, very best to keep us in the dark, you'd agree with that, wouldn't you? That the devil would do his best to pervert the scriptures or to cause you to be drawn to some popular figure who will pervert the scriptures or mislead you in some way, that's going to happen. Deuteronomy 13 said you're going to come in contact with this dreamer of dreams. And they're going to give you some prediction, and it's going to come to pass. You're going to go, whoa. And they're going to have these miracles and signs and wonders all about them. But when they open their mouth and begin to teach you, they're going to lead you away from the Lord. You say, how could this be? It happens every day. Some of the most misleading people, I think, are so-called conservatives in churches that are fundamental premillennial. And they deny so much of what God has for us today. They won't even read Mark 16. They won't read Acts 2-4. They won't read some of these other places. They don't want you to read it. They don't want you asking questions. So they set up a little doctrinal stand. We don't believe in that. That's not for today. That was for another day. We don't want it here. And if you do have it here, it's of the devil. And you're robbed and you're cheated and you're denied. You ought to make that decision yourself. Search the scriptures to see what the scriptures say. Now, how do we deal then with strongholds? With light. How do we deal with these fortresses and things in us that seem to keep us back and hold us down? With light. Light. What is light? 
Light is the word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. The entrance of thy word giveth light. It giveth understanding to the simple. When Jesus said, why do you not understand my word? Because you can't see the light. You're under the control of darkness and you can't see it. So he said, if you'll turn to Ephesians 5, light and illumination. Unless Jesus reveals to us his way, we can never know it. Unless the light shines into a dark place, it remains dark. You would agree with that, wouldn't you? Anybody who has a darkness in them, misunderstanding, not fully clear on some things yet, but not really walking the way the Lord walks, wants to, but I can't see it yet. What you have, what God has given to you to be able to do that is light. Remember this in Ephesians 1, that God would give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being illumined so that you may know. This is how knowledge comes. We can academically learn a lot of things about the Bible. We can memorize stuff and all of that, quote the Bible. But it doesn't become a way of life until the revelation of it comes to your heart. And you see people acting crazy, living wrong, doing wrong. They have no revelation of Jesus. I've heard Bonnie say that several times when we were talking. You know, we'd see people that were just, I mean, ugly lifestyle. The choices that people were making, it was so degrading. And I would say something like, you know, that's a shame. They don't have to be like that. And she would say, they have no revelation of Jesus. They've heard about him. They've never had a revelation. They've never had that moment, that life-changing capture of a man's soul. They've just heard the Sunday school stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they've never had a revelation. Paul wrote, when the eyes of your heart by the work of the Holy Spirit are opened up and illumined, then you will know what God has given you and what God is showing you. It'll become real to you. You'll be affected by it. And he said here in Ephesians chapter 5, I'm reading from another translation, but he said, all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. That's the New King James Version. It says that. Now, according to that then, whatever exposes a darkness would be light. You know what light does? If you go into a dark room without light, you're in the dark. If you turn on a light, you can't see necessarily the whole room, but you can see wherever the light is pointed. Are you with me? Now, when you flip a switch then the light illumines a whole room and you're no longer in darkness. You can see what's going on. You can just see. Now, think of it like this. God says there are elements, areas of darkness in all of us. In a great house, there are wood, hay, and stubble as well as silver and gold. Okay, there's things in us that will hinder us and not please God. Now, God wants to expose it. God wants to expose some of these areas of our life with his word. 
He wants his word to be like a light. We call it conviction. And you go, oh, man. Somebody told him I was coming this morning. No. God knew you were coming. He just decided this morning to lay a measure of conviction on you to see whether or not you want to go any further or not. You can reject it or you can keep it. You're going to know. Doesn't mean you do it. Just because you learn a lot of things doesn't mean you live it. But when God shows it to you and it touches your heart, you got a chance now to come out of darkness and begin to walk in his light. It'll cost you something because everybody you ever ran with back over here, if you come out of that, they're going to be suspicious of you or he thinks he's better than us now, that type of stuff. So here you are. He said, all things that are exposed are made manifest by light. And when there's things in your life, if you sit here long enough, if we keep coming long enough, eventually there's multiplied areas of our lives that God's going to deal with. Your relationship with your wife, your children, church, your commitment, submission, all of it, giving, loving, helping, doing, going, witnessing. Everything's going to be challenged because these are areas that we just sort of let go. But God says, no, I didn't bring you here to leave you alone. I didn't bring you here to let you stay the way you were. If you'll listen, I'll turn on a light and you'll begin to see something the way I see it. And now you can deal with it because now you know what I want. And if you'll do that, I'll show you another area. Until finally, you're going to be cleansed because you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. Because you see, you're not free. You're not just naturally free, but you certainly can be free. It takes light. Jesus said in John 8, he said, I am the light of the world. What does that mean? Well, the world lies in what? Darkness. The world lieth in darkness. It's ways, it's customs, it's ideas, it's opinions, it's systems are all designed by the devil to control people and keep them in the dark and make them comfortable while they're in the dark. Jesus comes along and he says to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. And he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but he shall have the light of life. Now turn to John 1, the first gospel, John chapter 1. He that followeth me, Jesus said. Who should we preach then? Jesus. He that followeth Brother Hamilton is foolish, but he that followeth Jesus is wise. God did not send a man for us to follow. He sent his son, Jesus. Now, there are references in the Bible to, you know, I know I'm following Christ, follow me. As an example that the lawyers in Luke 11 didn't have, Paul said, I'll show you the way because I'm going to point you to Jesus. The whole focus of my life, my reason for living, reason for being here, reason for getting up, doing anything I'm doing, having what I have, going where I'm going, it's all to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. I have no other reason for being on this earth. That's what Paul would say. We should. But I can't serve him 
without knowing him. Now, Jesus said, if you follow me, you're not going to walk in darkness. But if you follow me, you're going to have the light of life. You're going to know what life is about. Now, in John 1, concerning this light, it says in verse 4, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Does that mean that when God reveals Jesus to us, when a revelation of who he is comes to our heart, that we're given to understand how a man ought to live? Is he not an example that we should follow in his steps? This is the way, walk ye in it. It's what Jesus did. He said, I'm the light of the world. The whole world, the whole world is lying in darkness. Everything about them is dark. When they die, it's a dark place they go. Gross darkness. You can hear them and weeping and gnashing of teeth, the screaming and the yelling. But heaven, the contrast to hell is light. The new city is illumined by whom? By God. The Shekinah glory shines in every part of it. If the New Jerusalem is what we're talking about, it's 1,500 miles wide, long. It's a square. This is what God is building and what's coming, and it's full of light. There's no darkness because with God, it's light. With the devil, it's darkness. Darkness is when you're scratching your head, and I don't get that. Oh, this don't make any sense. If you're a Christian and you really don't know what to do, that's when you pray. You pray for light. God, teach me thy way because that's a way of light it's a way that's clear i want to see it show me the way i should go and what i should do but speaking of jesus he said in him was light and the light was the life of men and verse five and the light shines in shelbyville and i pray that shelbyville does comprehend it because he said and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not Comprehended means to seize with the mind. And you see in verse 10 of John chapter 1, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came into his own and his own received him not. That's a shame. It would be a shame for any of us to have spent as much time as we have listening to the gospel being in church settings and to never be any different at the end of our life than we were when it started. Wouldn't it be nice if every time we met, there was more light that came into us and we could see more clearly the bigger picture? What kind of opportunity would your children have? Man, think of what you could share with your children not some little Bible story, but the whole picture of not only how God wants us to be saved, why he wants us to be saved in a life that we live, and here's why. And like he said in Deuteronomy, as you go along the way, you talk to your children, you see this, and you begin to explain why there's so much darkness in the world, why people don't live right, and why people are so sinful, because they live in darkness. They don't want the light. Turn to John 3. 
They don't want the light. Look at verse 19. John chapter 3 and verse 19. And this is the condemnation. That light is coming to the world. And what? And men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They liked their sin. They love the naughtiness and the nastiness and the honoring. They like it. It's entertaining to listen to all that vulgar stuff. <laughs> well, man, that's funny. Oh, I heard this stuff. They like it. Give it up. Your friends know you're like that. Now, today, if you're like that, your friends know you're like that because you sit with them this week. Now, all of a sudden, you get convicted. And they say, hey, I got a new movie, man. And you say, well, I really don't want to watch it. Why not? Tell them why not. Tell them because you've got some light and you realize that God wouldn't want me to do that. That that's not a way he's given me to live and I'm not going to do it. And watch your friends say, oh, well, praise the Lord. We're so glad that you're so full of... Well, they'll gnash their teeth at you. Why? Well, the same way that false prophet did in Acts 13. He's a child of the devil. They cannot but do that. They're true to their nature. They're controlled by something. There's an enemy within them that controls them and their attitudes and their meanness. It all comes out like that. And it's designed, when the devil has mean people, it's designed to make you embarrassed or make you Come back to where they were by whatever they say to you. Well, I guess you think you're better. Say, oh, well, you run around with us. We've been your friend all your life. Now you're going to church and won't even talk to us. That's supposed to make you feel bad about coming to the Lord. This is an enemy. This is the way the devil works. That's why he keeps us so quiet. Well, don't raise your hand. Somebody think you're, and so you keep them in your pockets or down. Or don't do this or that because why not? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. Amen. Say so. That's right. Amen. Don't just go in there and say, well, God knows I mean what. No, no, no. That's not what the scripture says. The Bible said we're to make a loud noise. I don't mean you have to come in here screaming. Hallelujah. It doesn't mean that. There's a time for silence. There's a time for noise. There's a time for clapping. There's a time for being still. You know that. There's, there's got to be that kind of wisdom amongst us. But the bigger picture we begin to see, little boy said, Daddy, why do you sing so loud? Because that's in my heart. Let me tell you why. See, God showed me once, and now I see it in the bigger picture. And in this one simple way, I can honor God with my lips. The fruit of my lips, it gives sacrifice unto God. That's why I do that. You'll do that yourself. I think a lot of our children will probably learn and grow and perhaps become the kind of citizens at heaven that God wants them to. Light in each one of us, folks, is an opportunity to share light with somebody else. Are you with me? As I said the other day, the other Wednesday night, the reason we study the reason we spend time studying as we should is so we know how to give an account of ourselves and how to answer people, rightly divide the word of truth. 
one of the great functions of being on this earth is to witness to your neighbor, your friends, your family, whoever. And you got to know what you believe. You can't just use cliches. You got to know what they mean. You search the scriptures to find out what all of that means. You hide this word in your heart so that you won't sin against God. You know the way to go and you know the way to say and so on and so forth. Again, in John chapter 3, look at verse 19. The condemnation that comes into the world is this. Light has come and men love darkness better than light. Is it not true that one of the enemy's grips on a lot of people is that they can't give up their sinful ways? You think about it. Just dwell on it for a moment. People cannot change. It's hard to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord because they can't give up their grip on sin. And if you won't give up something here, you're not going to learn anything over there. Where you are, you learn. You deal with it. You take a step forward. God shows you more. You take another step. The measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. We grow up into him in all things and so forth. The enemy hates that because it's going to rule him out of your life. He can't control you anymore. He can't make you throw a fit. He can't prompt you to pout. Oh, he can prompt you. But you've got light now. Pouting doesn't honor God. Pouting honors the devil. Mouthiness doesn't honor God. It honors the devil. I see it. I don't have a right to act that way and throw that kind of a fit and tell some, I'll tell you one blank thing. We don't have that right. The devil formed that idea, that reaction in people. But God didn't. And the only way we know we have the problem is when we hear the word and the word becomes like a light and you see it and you go, oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I can't give up my cigarettes. Years ago, man said, I just can't give up my drugs. I can't give up my pot. I can't do it. And pot goes with music. I mean, he told me that. That loud, raunchy, rambunctious, worthless music goes with the pot, with the drugs and this kind of a altered thinking. That's what the devil's after is your mind. It's your mind. Words, if you get it all hazy, it doesn't matter what anybody says. All you know is that, man, you're on your, I'm out there and you're smooth. And then you come back down and you feel worse than you did before you went up because the devil's a thief. He pays you in counterfeit money. He wants to destroy you. But God gives light. He can show the weakest one in this room this morning, the least of you, the one of you in here who seems to be struggling the most in your own estimation. And the light that he gives, a little light comes on the door and he says simply, I'm here to tell you that I love you. And you don't have a problem that I can't fix. You don't have an attitude that I can't alter. Everything can be fixed if you'll let me help you. 
just as I am. And you begin to turn to the Lord and yield yourself to the Lord little by little. You might have messed up last week. I'm sorry, God, I come back. You pray, you come back. And you finally start getting the victory over this stuff. You become an overcomer. This is the way God wants us to do it. One more verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verse 6. For this is what I pray will happen here when we come here. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, that was creation. The same God has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How important is that? Well, it's obviously very important. I can't escape darkness until I have light. Isn't that true? I can't do right until I know what is right. I can't become somebody new until I know what somebody new is supposed to be. I can't just fabricate something on the basis of it seems good, it looks good, and why not? It's got to be according to what God said, if God's going to honor it. I mean, if we want God to bless our life, then we've got to live this way. So he said, God who commanded light to shine out of darkness is the same God, and this is a one great blessing of grace in this world, has shown into our hearts to give light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, who is the image of God and so forth. That's what he does. You're sitting here for the time you sit here. If Jesus really is the focus of what we're doing and his way is being brought, then you begin to see that what God wants from us is to follow him. Light has shone out of darkness into our hearts and this is what he wants us to be. This is the way he wants us to live. This is the very thing that God is dealing with us about. Listen to what he's saying. He has shown the old man. Remember that? He has shown the old man what is good. How many of you have heard that? Okay, now listen to it again because it's a revelation. He has shown the old man what is good. And now what does the Lord require of you? Well, to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Those are all enlightened features of a Christian's life. This is the way we live because it's the way he lived. It's the way Jesus lived. We see it in him. This is what he did. This is what God wants us to do. So in closing this morning, when the Bible says our text, bring it into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ, it must be understood that Christ must be ruling in your life. There has to be a revelation of Jesus in you. There must be a knowledge of what he wants or it doesn't matter what you think. You can't bring a thought captive to somebody you don't know any more than you can be saved by a stranger because I don't know how many people know Jesus anyway. But he said, our weapons brings into captivity every thought. This is the work of the devil. Hath God said, and you say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? That's Christ. Jesus, is this what you want? Am I thinking right? Is my thinking honoring you? Is my decision I'm about to make the right decision to make? 
Is this what you want? Is this how I serve you and how I please you? No. Well, what do you want me to do? What have I taught you? And then you remember. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to bring to your attention all things of whatever Jesus said. Because Jesus said that's what he will do. Isn't it right? And whatever the Holy Spirit shows you that Jesus said is light. This is the way. Walk ye in it. You got to be willing to do that. So all these ideas that you have now when you walk out of here as to why you don't want to do things you're doing, let me take praise if it's true. I'm just saying that. But why is it you don't praise the Lord the way you should? Ask yourself the question, what has powered me down? What kind of logic, thinking, or reasoning has gone on in my mind? What have I given place to that's made me think that I don't need to do that or have to do that or not necessary? Who told me that? The preacher didn't tell us that. God never told us that. Where did it come from? And deal with it. Deal with it. Why am I, why am I, and why am I, and how come I? Deal with it. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. And when I have the truth, and the truth is abiding, and it's living in me, and I hear some of these suggestions, hath God said? I mean, do you really think? And all this kind of stuff. You know, look, honey, we're going to be married anyway. What difference does it make? You really think it's okay? You really think that's what God gives you to think? Well, no, that's, that would be something unclean or immoral. Then deal with it. Take a stand. You got light, deal with it. Don't let the enemy control you because if you resist the devil, we'll do this next time. If you resist the devil, what will he do? He'll flee. So he doesn't want you to resist him, does he? He wants you to kind of agree, well, well maybe you're right. After all, who can? I haven't seen it work. But we have a victory to be won. We have weapons that we can fight with because the Bible says so. And there is no reason for anybody in this room in the end of your life to be defeated. Not a one of you. Amen. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to bless us with a clear understanding of what you're saying, how you want us to live, and what you want. Just make it clear to us, that's all. Give us light. You have said the entrance of your word gives light. If you don't give us that, then we must remain in darkness. There's a lost world that needs to see our light. The change that you're making in us. The love that you put in our hearts. They need to see it. So give grace to us, Lord, in the measure that we're able to respond and receive what you say and become the kind of people your word shows us we should be. We ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.